Hello and welcome back to the Todd Pod. I am Todd Lizenby, and before we get going today, we want to thank some sponsors here of the Todd Pod and at selloutcrowd.com. We want to thank MidFirst Bank, the Laser Light Skin Clinic, the National Cowboy and Western Heritage Museum, Fire Lake Casino, and Oklahoma Ford Dealers. And don't forget to drive into your best in Oklahoma Ford Dealers today for the best deals on Ford's full lineup of trucks and SUVs. Ford is the best in Oklahoma. My guest is maybe a familiar face if you've been listening to radio, especially if you're on Twitter and you're a big college football fan. He is Keegan Renault from RPM Data. Keegan, good to have you on the Todd Pod today. Absolutely, man. It's good to catch up again. Uh, glad things are going well and excited to talk. So I I usually, you know, intro the guests, but I think it's always easier to let the guests kind of intro themselves. So I mentioned you're Keegan Renault. You're of RPM Data. Explain to people who you are and what RPM Data is. So I covered Oklahoma football for people that are here locally in the Oklahoma City area, Tulsa area. Covered Oklahoma football from 2017 to 2020 or 2015 to 2020. And then, you know, you start to learn some things about the game. Uh, you have a great offensive mind that you can pick his brain from. And then you find a really smart kid, and I'll, I give him all the credit in the world uh, from a data science perspective. And we found some interesting things with the NFL draft and some inefficiencies in the marketplace and how agents and specifically in the sports agent world are operating. And so what RPM Data is, it's a consulting service that provides program consulting on a program level for high schools and colleges. We work with trying to help them understand their, themselves the best that they can, how they can prepare for their opponents the best that they can, the most efficient um, that they can as well. And then obviously helping them, you know, reach more success on a week, on a drive-by-drive, play-by-play, week-by-week, season-by-season basis, and really focus on the things that drive and are stable week over week and not focusing on the things that aren't. And I'm sure we're going to dive into some of that. Uh, and then obviously on the, you know, prospect consulting side. so. We do work with sports agencies, NIL groups, financial advisors to identify players in the marketplace that uh, are not valued at the place that they're going to be yet. So a lot of people will sit there and say, hey, oh, you're just finding the diamonds in the rock. You're finding the sleepers in the draft. No, uh, we're all we're attempting to do is to find players that are continue to trend up over the course of their career. A lot like college football recruiting, that space is now. The earlier you get in, the better chance you have to build that relationship, the better chance you have to represent them once they get to the NFL. And so that's what RPM data is. We're a program consulting or we're a consulting service that uses proprietary metrics, advanced data, and holistic scouting processes to help people become the best versions of themselves. So you mentioned data and it's in the name RPM data. And, you know, analytics is a word that there's a certain group of people that just immediately cringe when they hear that word because they feel like it's ruining sports. But it's there. It's not going anywhere. And coaches can benefit from it. Have you found over just in your time doing what you do more of an acceptance of the things that you do? And, and how is it changing the game of football? Coaches are definitely more open minded than what the people think. And there's obviously some coaches you talk with that are stuck in their ways and they believe football is only played a certain way. But I tell them all the time, you know, I, I think that there's a there's a beautiful city that was built in Southern Nevada that was based on the idea that humans don't know how to apply statistics correctly, right? And so whenever you kind of take that perspective on it and how to really understand your own data, all the things that are inside your walls, your concepts, your formations, your calls, 
how you're performing on a down-by-down basis, what matters, and how you can continue to get better over week by week. And as I said, even to the down-by-down and drive-by-drive basis. And so, yeah, coaches are definitely more open to the idea of getting better and understanding themselves and using resources to get them to the places they want to go. And, you know, even to top off on that, like hearing Brent Venables mention EPA, and I'm sure you're going to have a question regarding that, uh, I think speaks volumes to how open-minded some of these coaches truly are. Because if I would have, if you would have told me, Todd, that Brent Venables was going to embrace uh, advanced statistics, I would have told you you were crazy about it. Uh, but obviously that that's not the case. And he's really diving in and figuring out how to make Oklahoma the best that they can be. So speaking of Oklahoma, uh, everyone's on a big high. The Sooners coming off an off week, uh, had the big win at the, at the Red River rivalry down at the Cotton Bowl against Texas a little over a week ago. So let's talk about Oklahoma and just what the, da- the data tells you about the Sooners. And I, I guess I'll kind of open-ended, just ask this question, and you can go with it where you want. Right now, when you look at the data, and we've got a good sample size. We're halfway through a regular season. Is this a team that's a legit playoff contender? Through six games, they're performing as a top-five team in the country. You look at some metrics out there. They're sitting there telling you that they're performing like a top-two team in the country or even a number-one team in the country through this point. And you know, I think that there's obviously some things that you have to look at the way that these models are put together. I think that's one of the biggest things that I've been able to do is ask a lot of questions about how uh, the nerds or the uh, the data science people are putting their models together. And so, yeah, you know, I think Oklahoma is performing at a level right now that if they continue to get better, like, I think the biggest thing, and even from our work and what we do at RPM, is we have to remind these everybody that we work with, our projections are based on you living up to your expectation. And Oklahoma right now is performing like a top five team, but that doesn't mean they're going to be continuing to perform like a top five team week over week over the next six games. And so right now, Oklahoma is certainly playing like a team that has a chance to make a run here and make the college football playoff. I think that they're obviously, you know, there's a collision course here for another Oklahoma-Texas game pending. What goes on around the country, the Pac-12 is going to have to cannibalize itself. Uh, Penn State or Ohio State, probably both of them are going to have to have two losses. And then you need Georgia to win the SEC. But there is a pathway here to get Oklahoma and Texas into the college football playoff. And I think Oklahoma, with the way that they're playing and the way that the metrics are telling me that they're playing, um, they're certainly playing like a team that should be there in that conversation at the end of the year. And obviously, as I said, the projections are only if Oklahoma lives up to those expectations. Oklahoma came off a bye week a year ago with their hair on fire, played really well, I think, over those next three games, if I remember correctly. Iowa State, Kansas, Oklahoma State was among that group. And so we'll see how they're able to perform here coming off the bye. So there was a AP voter, Emily Liker is her name, I think, or Leaker, I don't know how you pronounce it, but she voted Texas 7, Oklahoma 9, I think. I saw, you know, Josh Pate does, I don't know what he, his Pate State top 25 or whatever, but he had Texas 3 and Oklahoma like 6 or 7. Uh, as far as metrics go, does it still tell you that Texas is a better team than Oklahoma? I know none of that matters if Oklahoma wins the games, but just as far as metrics go, just how big of a win was that over Texas a little over a week ago? Yeah, and you look at every model that's out there right now, uh, 90% of them had Oklahoma covering. And poor Greg McElroy got old takes exposed in the Oklahoma video, and he had Oklahoma covering in that game. So, 
Yeah, I think every model up to this point had, not every, but 90, 95%, most models had Oklahoma covering the six and a half points, which is the most important part of this, right? Ratings mean a lot more than rankings. And so even from what I do from a power ranking perspective, I still have Texas ahead of Oklahoma. But all that means is probabilities, right? Like if Texas is a four-point favorite in a game against Oklahoma, which by the way, did not realize that the line closed at four uh, ahead of kickoff on Saturday. That is a lot of Oklahoma money that came in Saturday morning. But what that all that means is that Texas has a 57 or 60 percent chance of winning the game. Right. Which still leaves a 40 to 37, 40 percent chance of Oklahoma winning the game. And so ratings mean a lot more. So I know Josh Payne, he, he does have a model. Uh, he does have a proprietary model that's in-house for him. And obviously there's some others that do as well. SP Plus is obviously the godfather of uh, football metrics. And they obviously have Texas still as a two and a half point favorite on a neutral field over Oklahoma. All that means up to this point is that through six games, Texas is still played stronger um, through those six games in Oklahoma has. And so what that means for the next six games, no one knows. And I, I pointed this out yesterday or two days ago, Todd. I mean, you go back to 2018. Oklahoma has two turnovers. Texas turns those two turnovers into points from Kyler Murray. Uh, Texas wins 48-45, and Oklahoma was a seven-point favorite. You get six weeks later, Oklahoma plays Texas in the Big 12 championship game. Both Oklahoma and Texas did not play good football over those final six games. I think Oklahoma won a game by, you know, seven against Kansas at home. They won a game on the road at West Virginia, 59-57. And then Oklahoma closes as a a nine-and-a-half-point favorite in the Big 12 championship game. So that's some of the same discussion we're having. It's just trying to anticipate and measure strength of a team uh, in a predictive sense. But I would say this. I think Texas is not doing the things on an efficiency perspective that sits there and tells you that you should have the confidence that they're going to go through the rest of the schedule and just breeze through it. Um, and even from Oklahoma's perspective, there's some, I think, some games here down the stretch that certainly need, uh, warrant some attention here. They go on the road to Kansas in a couple of weeks, and that's one of them. All right, we'll get into uh, what may be somewhere that Oklahoma's struggling uh, as far as analytically coming up. But right now, let's talk about the biggest improvement from last season for the Sooners. Where, when you look at your data, can you point out, you know, and just pound on the paper and go, this right here is the biggest reason why Oklahoma is 6-0 in 2023. Something so small, um, something I talk with coaches about all the time, Todd. All these coaches talk about winning on the margin, winning on third downs, winning on fourth downs, special teams, this and that. But the win probability that you lose from yards gained after a broken tackle. So break that down again real quick. Repeat it. The yards gained after a broken tackle probability that you lose because the yards after contact is massive. Um, it's way more important than third down efficiency or fourth down efficiency or red zone efficiency or anything. Um, something so small. Oklahoma's tackling on defense. Um, last week against Texas, one of the conversations heading into it was if Oklahoma allows the explosive runs that Iowa State had, that Jonathan Brooks was going to house them. Jonathan Brooks didn't house many explosive runs on Saturday against Oklahoma. Their tackling is so much better. And I think it's reflected in the metrics whenever you look at EPA per play allowed, right? All EPA is, is you take yards per play and it's just adding more context of down, distance, sometimes time on the clock. Um, 
basically saying the third and two in the first quarter is not as important as a third and two in the second. And so I think it's being reflected in the metrics whenever you look at their, the increase um, of the EPA per play allowed. Uh, you look at the success rates um, in terms of how often Oklahoma's allowing a team to stay on schedule or not. The tackling is so much better. And that is something so small, but it's something I talk with coaches all the time. Like, you know, one of the things that you go, let's go back to the old regime real quick. Alex Grinch came in and said, if we get 24 turnovers in a season, that turns into nine wins. That should have been a red flag immediately because turnovers are somewhat random. Turnovers are results of you doing your job on defense in terms of getting after the quarterback and the corners and safeties being in great position and linebackers being in great position. So turnovers are a fact of something else that happens on defense. Um, this defense from Oklahoma is improved by a wide margin. I think they've improved an SB plus by five or six points on average at this point. And that is the one thing for me that just stands that sticks out like a sore thumb. And you can't, there's no metrics that sit there and tell you. So a little peek behind the curtain on everything that we do at RPM and the way that we believe um, is based on things that you can see or, you know, be able to measure in a predictive sense. But you can tell that it's reflected because they're not allowing as many explosive plays. They're keeping teams from staying off schedule. Um, those things are so important. And it's like a dog comment here, Todd. The more often you force a team in the second and third and long, the better chance you have to get off the field. The better chance you have to get off the field, the better chance the offense gets the ball back, right? And it's like a dog comment, like to simplify it. But that's the reality, right? Whenever you try to use these metrics and how to help these coaches or help these teams understand themselves better, the tackling is can be reflected in what we're seeing in Oklahoma's defense up to this point. And then, again, I think something that's just very small. Um, the defense at this point is not, um, they, they, in terms of penalties, uh, in terms of the small other things that really impact your win probability on a game, the defense is doing the little things right. And so tackling and doing the little things of no, not a lot of coverage busts or assignment busts, um, those things are certainly reflected in the metrics. Okay, so you mentioned that when your defense gets off the field, it puts the ball in the hands of the offense. Right now, there's a lot of talk about Dylan Gabriel. Did he have, I called that he might have had his Heisman finalist moment because I still think Caleb Williams is going to win the award. But, you know, from a from just a Joe Schmo sitting on the couch perspective, you can see that Dylan Gabriel has improved over last year. When you kind of drill it down, where do you see maybe that people don't realize that he's improved the most, Keegan? he's so much more confident in the pocket. And it's something we talked about with Spencer Rattler. It's something we talked about with Caleb Williams. Something we talked about with Jalen Hurts, Kyle Ray, all of the quarterbacks of the last eight years. Early on, those quarterbacks would bail early in pockets in terms of not staying in there, going through their reads and progressions, and his confidence to throw to the middle of the field. I mean, it, if you go to the OU Texas, and let's say this was a year ago, that pass to Drake Stoops to start the drive with a minute 17 left over the middle of the field, into a tight window, he wasn't doing those things. He was only focusing on throwing outside the hashes, which for a smaller quarterback, that makes some sense. So Dylan, I think, is a lot more comfortable working in the pocket. And even you go back to Saturday, he had to have been kicking himself. He missed a couple one-on-one -on -one opportunities to the outside and had his receivers beat the corner. Um, and with this offense and the way that they operate, uh, I think they've got some things that they can improve upon, which is a very scary proposition for an Oklahoma offense that's operating at a really high level right now. How big of a loss was Andrell Anthony? Because I think when you just look at numbers, he has arguably been the best Oklahoma receiver this year or the most trustworthy Oklahoma receiver this year. 
I think they can mitigate this one. If they have another injury on the outside, I think is where it becomes a problem. And that's because of the development of Nick Anderson up to this point. And you obviously, you know, a lot of people covered talking about the security on third downs and Andre Anthony has been somewhat of a safety blanket. Well, Jaleel Farouk could be that guy. Welcome Jaleel Farouk to the 2023 season, by the way, Tom. Uh, big performance on Saturday against Texas. Finally was able to get some separation and Dylan Gabriel finding him on those passes as well. So I think they can mitigate this issue up to this point in the season. And if they have another injury is where I think it becomes a conver- comes a real conversation of what it looks like. But I think with the development of Nick Anderson, Jaleel Farouk finally coming on for the 2023 Oklahoma Sooners, I think this is an injury that they can mitigate. Uh, but when you start looking down the road and maybe taking a bigger picture look at this, now Andre Anthony's for sure going to be in Norman next year. And Jaleel Farouk may sure be in Norman next year. And you have a young quarterback that's going to be playing. And so I think not obviously hurt for Andre Anthony. This is a guy that was playing himself into a draft pick at the end of the year and probably could have left a year early. But in terms of Oklahoma and the way this thing looks, it might be somewhat of a blessing in disguise that Jackson Arnold's going to have some weapons to throw to on the outside next year. I think Drake Drake Stoops should get like some sort of hardship and just get to play like 10 years. I think that should be some sort of rule. It feels like he's been there forever. Um, and he has been a really good receiver over his time. I know something that I talk about, Keegan, I don't know if you see this or not, or if you agree with this, but I feel like Oklahoma's receivers are really good blocking on the edge. Do you have that same thought? I do. And it's much better than it was a year ago. And I think all credit goes to Emmett Jones and the way that they've blocked on the outside. Some of those outside runs against Texas on Saturday were really, really, really important. And so one of the areas too, this kind of focus back on Andre Anthony, people are like, why? Why didn't Michigan use him the way it was? Well, I think Andre would tell you he didn't deserve to have the snaps last year. He wasn't playing. And of any person on this roster that was a transfer that needed a little Jerry Schmidt and Brent Venables in their life, like week, week, nudge, nudge, and what that means, it was definitely Andre Anthony. He's playing much more physical. And I think that development and that curve is all credit to the Oklahoma staff and the Jones. Okay, now, if Oklahoma is to stumble – what do you think when you look at film, when you look at data, what do you think could be the reason that Oklahoma stumbles, aside from injuries? Because we all know injuries, you know, especially to a quarterback, is going to hurt you. But just when you look at the data, maybe where somewhere that Oklahoma has maybe even degressed from last year. They haven't necessarily regressed, I guess is the word. Regression, whatever the word is. You know, I think. Oklahoma fans aren't going to want to hear this. And if you don't want to hear this, definitely close your ears. But red zone defense and in terms of stopping, in terms of like Oklahoma being able to stop teams in its tracks, that stuff's not really stable. Meaning teams, Oklahoma is still allowing way too many yards. Uh, when you look at available yards, it's something that I look at with coaches all the time. So when an offense, where the offense starts their drive and how many yards that they pick up. So, their available yards that they do allow. Oklahoma right now, 52nd in the country in terms of available yards allowed on defense. When a team starts at the 20, the minus 20, they're 66. When a team starts at the minus 40, Todd, they are 80th in the country in available yards allowed. And so if there's one thing that is definite of a concern where you sit there and say, well, is the defense playing as good as they possibly can? No, they're not. And I think that this is something to definitely monitor, not to sit here and say that they have better offenses that they're facing here down the road, but 
if you are going to allow that many yards, usually when you allow that many yards, those yards end up turning into points. It could be a skill. This could be something Oklahoma just be able is able to mitigate for the rest of the season. Is basically when a team crosses the plus forty, they say you can't. You're not going to get a first down. You're not going to score in the red zone. But those things aren't stable on a week by week basis. And so that is the one thing that I'm keeping my eye on, specifically in two weeks. Kansas is coming off a bye. We know Lance Leopold's script. Todd is going to be like 50 plays maybe in the first half, and that's I'm over exaggerating, but. Um, Lance Leopold's going to have a week to prepare for Oklahoma. And I think that that is something to definitely monitor from this defense perspective. If they allow yards to Kansas and Kansas gets scoring opportunities inside the plus 40 and in the red zone, Kansas is one of those teams that can maybe cash in on that, uh, that Oklahoma has basically been able to mitigate through six games this far. The question is, will, uh, will Jalen Daniels have his NIL situation figured out by then? Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Uh, okay, so. No comment. <laughs> you you mentioned that um that could be the thing that trips up Oklahoma. I when you were talking about Oklahoma defensively and I've said this for about 3 or 4 weeks now. And I don't obviously you weren't doing what you're doing now back then because compared to me especially you're just a child. But the 2011 Oklahoma State defense comes to mind. Remember how good that 2011 Oklahoma State team was, but defensively they didn't exactly shut people down. They created a lot of turnovers. They been bent but didn't break a lot. Um, do you see similarities just from kind of what you remember back of that 2011 OSU team and their defense? For sure. And you even go back to the uh, 20, it was a 2020 Oklahoma State defense that obviously was the leaned into what they did in 2021, which was a historic defense in Stillwater for what they were able to do, a top five in efficiency, this and that. That 2020 and 2011 Oklahoma State defense they were so good on third down. Didn't matter. Third and one, third and inches, third and three. Downs that offenses typically pick up. That uh, 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 Jim Knowles, there we go. I was about to say John Heacock, which is obviously the D.C. at Iowa State. But uh, Jim Knowles, they were able to just be aggressive and force teams to basically say, hey, you're going to have to earn this third down. That is something that's very similar. Um I mentioned earlier, turnovers are somewhat random. Available yards are some are some things that really matter in terms of the you know things that correlate week over week. Yes, I definitely think that there are some similarities, and I would even say this regarding that conversation: uh, the offenses in the Big Twelve in 2023 are not what the offenses were even in 2020 in the Big Twelve or 2011. I think that that's definitely something that, in terms of context, that sure. matters in terms of talking about Oklahoma is definitely there. Now, last question about Oklahoma and what the data tells you. Brent Venables has used this buzzword since the end of last season, buzzwords, I guess, competitive depth. How much do you see an increase in Oklahoma's competitive depth when you look at the numbers, when you look at the film through half the season? Defensive line is definitely the biggest, you know, point of conversation, right? Whenever last year, and I think that starting group, which is so funny, that starting group last year consisted of, Jalen Redmond, Jordan Kelly, Isaiah Coe, Ethan Downs. This year, Jordan Kelly, Isaiah Coe, Ethan Downs. And now everybody loves these guys. But I think the difference is, is that they, they don't have to rely upon them for 60% of the snaps in a game, 70% of the snaps in a game. And I think that is the biggest conversation point for them, is that the competitive depth, specifically up front, where you're rotating in DeJon Terry or you're rotating in Jordan Kelly or Isaiah Coe, Jacob Lacey out of nowhere, on Saturday against Texas. It looks like one of Oklahoma's best defensive linemen. 
P.J. Adebayore is a true freshman coming in to back up Ethan Downs, and you have Rondell Bothroyd, right? And I think that that is just the biggest difference in terms of competitive depth that you're talking about. Do I think that they should shorten some of that in the back end of that defense? Yes. But I think up front, you don't want those big bodies playing, you know, 60% of snaps in a game. And I think that's where the competitive depth shines. Okay. um, Last question before we get into a little rapid fire. When you look at where analytics and where, you know, looking at data and watching film has gone in the last 10 years, where do you think it's going to go to? Like, what are the things that analytically and data-wise that maybe you guys aren't quite able to figure out yet that you hope to be able to figure out down the road? Like, what are some of the things you're working on getting better at? So football's a game won by human behavior. And I think a lot of people are trying to say, specifically in our space, that this is going to be similar to the NBA, be similar to Major League Baseball. Newsflash. There's what? And you know basketball a lot better than me. There's guys attempt 300 three-point shots in a season, or they attempt 1,000 yep. shots in a season. Uh, Major League Baseball, you have you know 200 innings from pitchers, or you have 1,000 at-bats. 600 at-bats, uh, yeah. yeah. And you know, I think the sample size in football is just not big enough to have the impact that you're seeing in Major League Baseball or you're seeing in the NBA. But I think some of the key things, specifically on our end, that is really important. The art, the intelligence that these coaches have at their hands in-house based off knowing their own concepts, their own formations. I completely get it. This is uh, coaches are a little, not skeptical, but uh, they're protecting what they do, right? And so they're not going to allow outside people to know what their calls are, know what their schemes are, know what this. But we at RPM are working on things that we can help them by basically saying, we don't know your calls. We don't know this. We're just going to store your data and provide to you how you're performing down to even the concept or if a certain player is on the field or if a defensive tackle is at a two-eye opposed to a three technique. I think those are the things for us that coaches have at their fingertips that they just do not understand um, how to maximize the intelligence that they have within them. If we want to get like deep in the weeds and if any of my competitors are listening, I don't really care, but uh, we can even get deep in the weeds, Todd, to where like when you have chips in these shoulder pads, right? In the NFL, you have next-gen stats that tracks every player on the field. You see it with Amazon Prime Football on Thursday night, which they developed an algorithm that predicted a corner blitz last night. For anybody that watched it, that was pretty cool to see uh, computer vision really work. These shoulder chips and pads, and you can really track who's coming on the field and who's not coming on the field. The, the one thing that I want to see happen is that become more of a commonplace across the sport. So Oklahoma, let's just focus on Oklahoma for, for an example. They do not share their metrics that they track in these kind of shoulder pads. They do not share that with anybody. And that's, a, that's basically commonplace around the country. So like Oklahoma State's not going to share their stuff with anybody. Oklahoma's not going to share their stuff with anybody. They don't even share them with NFL scouts that, uh, that come in to get information on these guys, how fast they're running on the field, what their play strengths are, you know, velocities in certain directions. I can get real deep in the weeds with this. But in terms of where I'm going with this is that if you know where every player is on the field and what players on the field and how much they weigh and how fast that they move and you can measure all those things, in a sense, you can develop a play calling, play calling algorithm that can tell you before you snap the ball if you should run it or pass it and what concept you should run against that defense. And 
that is getting real deep in the weeds with it. But that is something that can certainly happen. If you want to talk about where this thing is going, you know, you hear data science guys at the NFL level, Todd, you know, they're basically saying at some point in the next 20 years that coaches are going to be letting computers make their decisions first and then coaching second. I don't think it's going to get to that point, but it can certainly be done to where you can develop so you can develop an algorithm or using computer vision or tracking the track, the player tracking on the field. You can develop a play calling algorithm. It, it, it can be done. Um, now, will we ever get to the point where we can do that at RPM? Probably not. But uh, I think it would be really cool that if you're working with a college program and, you know, a defense comes in the nickel, right, with a fifth defensive back on the field and you come in and 12 personnel with two tight ends on the field. Part of me sits there and tells you with the mass that's on the field, with the way the defense is lined up, that it may be applicable to run the ball, right? Which is not something that is the common thought in terms of the analytics community as passing rates in the NFL have skyrocketed over the last 10 years with more information that sits there and tells you that passing is more of a, you know, you're not going to lose as much probability, win probability, mm -hmm. passing the ball as much as you are running the ball. And so... Yeah, I think it can be done. You can tell. I think it'd be pretty cool if it can be done. If someone takes off and runs with it, great. Uh, just give me some royalties along the way. All right. Listen, I, I've i had a hard time accepting analytics because it does. I think really the biggest issue with people like me that have a hard time accepting it and all the data-driven stuff is that it makes you feel old, right? Like it's because it's it's like technology right it's like it's you put it in front of a 20 year old they get it you put it in front of a 40 year old they don't and i feel like it's hard for me to accept but it's obviously part of the deal uh if nick saban can use it if brent venables can use it then i can figure out a way to understand it a little bit so that's where we lean on people like you keegan before we get out of here a little rapid fire so we're gonna do the good it's good bad or ugly all right so i'm just gonna say a phrase and you can choose whether it's good, bad, or ugly, and then give me a brief description, you know, two or three sentences as to why you came up on that. For example, if you were to say to me, Baby Spice, I would say good. She was always my favorite of the Spice Girls. All right, so here we go. Good, bad, or ugly. Let's start with OU's playoff chances this season, Keegan. Good. Schedule plays a big part into that. And I think that the fact there's not a top team in college football, there could be some cannibalization in the sport across it. OU and Texas's chances of a rematch in Arlington. Good. Same thing. Schedule. I think Texas and Oklahoma are head and shoulders beyond it. I will say Texas's last six games are much tougher than Oklahoma's. And I've got an eye on Texas Tech. They're starting to play some good football the last couple of weeks. Dylan Gabriel will be a Heisman finalist. Good. Good, bad, ugly. Good. I think, again, schedule plays into that. Heisman finalist is definitely the caveat there, right? If you had asked me if it was the Heisman, I would have said that. Uh, all right. This is pretty open-ended. Good, bad, or ugly? USC's defense. Ugly. Very <laughs> ugly. I, it's, it's one of those things that, like, we talked about it for years. There's something structurally, practice-wise, that Lincoln Riley is going to have to change live tackling and practice, physicality, all of those things. So uh, we're going to find out. Audrick Estime is a freight train at running back for Notre Dame this weekend, and I'm very much excited to see how USC approaches that. By the way, I don't think it's talked about enough. The Big 12 has some incredible running backs that are putting up big numbers this year. Totally agree. Devin Neal, running back at Kansas, I think one of the best-kept secrets in college football. 
Iowa State's got themselves a guy that, again, Iowa State with another running back. Who would have thought uh, that's playing some good football? C.J. Donaldson at West Virginia, another unheralded guy in the country. Certainly agree. Taj Brooks at Texas Tech, I yeah, think, is another one. Brooks is like, Taj Brooks is like fifth in the country in rushing right now, and I think he's right behind, or maybe he's a little bit ahead of Jonathan Brooks. And if uh, TCU can continue to fly under the radar by the end of the year, yep. I'm really excited to see what Imani Bailey uh, is going to do Week, week, nudge, nudge from an RPM data perspective. In fact, I think Brooks, Bailey, and uh, uh, Taj Brooks, Jonathan Brooks, and Bailey, I think they're all three of the top five in the country right now. So the Big 12's got some really good running backs. That's just a little bit of an aside. Final one for you, Keegan, and this Real quick, is – Ollie mean, Gordon is Ollie Gordon as well at Oklahoma State. Don't forget oh yeah, off. Yeah, that's, right. that's right. That's right. All right. This is as softballish as it gets. I am lobbing you a softball. You're like Hado on rookie of not rookie of the year on uh, yeah rookie of the year. You know where they said just float it, just float it. You're licking your chops right now at this one. Knock this one out of the park, Keegan. Good, bad, or ugly. The current state of the St. Louis Cardinals organization, a team you and I both support and love. Homer take bad, but. Mean the good. I uh, this year, okay. this year certainly uh, was not what anybody wanted. But when you've got young bucks like Jordan Walker, Mason Wynn, and they still have a great core with Marinado and Goldschmidt, now it's just up to the ownership, Todd. Uh, go spend some money in free agency and go get a starting pitcher here in the winter, or two, or three, maybe four, if uh, if they have to find some starting pitching here in the winter. <laughs> I mean, at this point, to see if Bob Tewksbury wants to come out of retirement and, you know, just lob it over the plate at 40, 50 miles an hour. It was pretty rough this year to be a Cardinals fan. Plus, if there's a division that you can turn it around in pretty easily, it's that division as well. Well, Keegan, I appreciate you coming on the Todd Pod. Thank you so much. Again, tell people where they can follow you uh, and follow RPM Data and, you know, check out all the stuff that you got going on there. At Keegan Renault, K-E-G-A-N-R-E-N-E-A-U. RPM data. We haven't posted a lot, but we will once this session or this season's up. And uh, our draft prospects aren't, or we can make them known about who we really target. So that's at RPM data on Twitter. And then once we get to January, we will have a website up and running for people to see what we're doing in a public facing sense. Beautiful. That's Keegan Renault of RPM Data. You have been listening and watching the Todd Pod. And don't forget if this is your first time hearing or watching the show, be sure to subscribe on YouTube or your favorite podcast app. And if you like what you hear or what you see, and how can you not like what you're seeing right here, please leave a review for us. Thanks again for listening and watching the Todd Pod. We'll see you next time.